The Proverbs say that the power of life and death are in the tongue. Words are powerful. We ought to be careful with how we use them, but we often play fast and loose with our words, quick to speak, quick to criticize. We often speak flippantly, repeat questionable things we've heard others say without even giving it a second thought. And look where it's landed us. Partisan politics, he said, she said, fake news, conspiracy theorists run rampant. Even exchanging opposing ideas isn't easy anymore With, within your own family. <laughs> Especially on social media, you might get unfollowed. Worse, you might get canceled. I was recently watching Yellowstone, and there's a moment where Kevin Costner, who plays the ranch daddy, is explaining to his daughter why he's invested so much in her brother's career. And he says, lawyers are the swords of this century. Words are weapons now. I need you to learn how to use them. I thought that was so aptly put. We've turned words into weapons now. Words are weapons, words that cut like a knife. It's a regrettable place to be, right? Can I tell you what I wish for us, for our church? I'll tell you what I want for you, for your family, for your neighbor. In a world where it's difficult to rely on media or have faith in government or, or even trust our own circle, what our own circle of friends tells us, my hope for you is to become more and more, every day, to become more a man, a woman of your word. I want you to be trustworthy. I want your words to be worthy of other people's trust. And I think, I think it has a lot to do with the words that we say and the words that we don't say. We have enough <laughs> provocative journalists. We have enough straight shooters. There's more than enough loud mouths, but what about quiet mouths? What about quiet strength? What about strong listeners? Instead of YouTube preachers chasing celebrity, what if Christians strive to be world-class listeners pursuing integrity? How would you characterize yourself? Are you slow to speak and quick to listen? Or quick to speak and slow to listen? Somewhere in between, maybe? Words are powerful, and we ought to be careful how we use them. We need to be careful, but being careful uh, in the way that we use them doesn't mean that we're coward-like and not saying what we should. It, it means being caring, being loving, and sometimes it means speaking even when we don't want to. We ought to be caring with our words, especially in our relationships, in our family, in the relationships closest to you. The words that you say can tranquilize rage, take rage out of somebody. You cultivate peace, you can fortify the timid, you can fortify those that are scared. The words that you say are powerful. The words that you say can also unmake relationships, divide family, and kill the spirit of another. There's a lot of power in our words, and this power comes from God. It was by words that God created everything, and by his word, he holds it all together. So how, how should we use this power? How should we use our words? In the scriptures, we can find help. Where we have erred, where we have spoken, where we, ha where we have spoken hate, where we have gossiped, 
where we've slandered, where we've damaged the spirit of other people, we can find help and a way forward in the scriptures. There's, there's a path to healthy Christian living. There's strong wisdom in here, and it will help guide us into all truth. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Peter in chapter 3? Uh, we're going to start in verse 8. Admittedly, there's, there's a lot of places in Scripture that talk about, that teach about speech and the way that we use our words. But I think the letter of 1 Peter has special relevance to us in our moment. Peter was a first century Christian pastor, one of Jesus' closest friends, a disciple, a leader of leaders. And this is more of an aside, but I think Peter's an interesting case study because the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, seem to characterize him as a talk first, think later kind of guy. I don't know, do you know anybody like that? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Stop talking, let's just do something. Verbal processors. Well, you're in good company if you do. Given the choice between brainstorming or storming in on someone, I think Peter, at least a young Peter, would have much preferred action over words. But when Peter wrote this letter, it was quite late in his life. A more simmered down Peter. A Peter who's learned to listen strong, to think well, and to speak life. And so if it helps you to not simply read past this and treat this like some sort of religious story, try imagining Peter and, and probably a scribe in a quaint Roman villa on a balcony writing this letter uh, to some new believers in faith. So this is, this is God's word for you today. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of God. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. The Christians who first read this letter had recently come to faith in Jesus and were dealing with all sorts of hangovers from their former lives, bad habits, toxic relationships, unhealthy cultural values like pleasure-seeking, subjugation of others, and revenge. And when, when scholars uh, talk about Peter's audience, they use the word Gentile to describe them. But the parallels to our own culture are remarkable. Think about it for a moment. Would you characterize our world as pleasure-centered or entertainment-centered? Does it make you angry at all when you see the subjugation of others or when people step on others to get ahead or when, they, when somebody gets used? Are there examples of revenge justice in our culture? If you think so, you would do well to go a little deeper into 1 Peter and discover more about how Christians ought to live in times like these. Actually, I think Pastor David is teaching a class on 1 Peter right now, and I know the material will be made available later if you're interested in that. The intended message of this scripture is to live a godly life. But for some reason in the end, in verse 
starting in verse 10, the author points to the way that we use our words. So Peter is guiding us to live a godly life or to imitate Jesus, and he essentially says, here's how you ought to act. First, towards those in your church community. And then second, to all those outside your church community. But then in verse 10, he quotes Psalm 34, which connects the godliness of our life to the godliness of our speech. Let's see what he's getting at. Okay, so the church, first things first. How should Christians relate to others in the church? It says right away in verse 8 that we should ensure that you're sympathetic toward others' needs, tender in love toward others, and maintain a sober self-assessment. Okay, look with me at verse 8. Have unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind. We've got to be sympathetic of needs and tender-hearted and humble-minded. I think these are pretty straightforward, and they make a lot of sense. But I want to talk a little bit about humble-mindedness. Being humble in mind means you don't have too high a view of yourself or too low a view of yourself. You have a sober view of yourself. You're not too high. You're not too low. You have a sober view of yourself. In other words, if pride is the opposite of humility, and pride is living outside of what God says about your identity, then being humble or being sober-minded means moving into what God says about your identity, about who God says you are as his son and daughter in Jesus Christ. But I think for us, this is where the breakdowns start, where the engines of our lives have critical failures. We live outside what God says about our identity. We're prideful. To be sure, most of us are dealing with inferiority pride, like bad self-talk or low self-esteem. But that's still pride. It's still outside of who God says that you are. It's still, it's still prideful. And we have to make that mind shift into what God says about our identity. And this is where we can really help each other out. I think this is what Peter's referring to, but we're sympathetic and we're tender-hearted. You have so much power as you speak life into another person. Good words spoken at the right moment can heal hearts that have been made broken. You can help cultivate a sober self-understanding for others. Tell them what you see. Tell them what they maybe can't see. Speak life into others. Be caring. But remember, being caring doesn't mean being coward-like. It doesn't mean we don't say the hard things. It means that when we do that, we do it sympathetically and lovingly. You have so much power as you speak into another person's life. In this church and in this community, ask yourself, how could I be sympathetic to the needs of my own wife or, or my own husband? How could I be sympathetic toward them? How could I be tender-hearted toward my parents? What's something that I could say to them? Or to my children, what's, how could I show my tender heart towards it? How is God guiding me to speak life, edification, encouragement to my, my sister or my brother? Or like Jesus said, those who do the will of my father are my sisters and my brothers. To my immediate community, how can I build up these people around me? Have, have you noticed anybody in your life that has too low a view of themselves? What words could you say that would build them up in love? What, what old man Peter is helping us understand is what it means to live a godly life, to imitate Christ. And in verse 8, he deals with the church. 
And in verse 9, he deals with those not yet a part of the church community. We don't want to think too uh, fantasy about what Rome was. First century Rome was not a nice place to be. Uh, the evil and, and really unchristian cultural values of pleasure-centered living and subjugation of others and like revenge justice were normative. Peter, who was crucified upside down, knew that firsthand. So in the face of a culture like that, what kind of living does he call the church to? What kind of living does he call the church to in a culture that is unchristian by nature? He calls it to eschatological living. That's what. Es eschatological. So eschatology is the study of theology of the last things or the end of the world as we know it. And Peter is calling the church in the face of an unchristian culture to live with the end in mind. What you may or may not know is how much Peter talks about suffering in the book of 1 Peter. In just five short chapters, he uses the word suffering, or pathema, 16 times. Compare that with the 14 times we see the word rejoice in Philippians, and you start to get an idea of the tone of Peter's content. The message that he is saying is that you will face suffering, but this is not the end. This is not the end. Live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. He's writing to new believers in Jesus who are facing a lot of opposition from those outside the church. The unchristian values of binging, of self-promotion, of getting even, flying right in the face of those trying to imitate and be like Jesus, flying right into their relationships, into their own actions. It was difficult and it was hard, but they had hope. But they had, it was difficult and it was hard, but they had hope. Look again at verse 9 in chapter, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. That you may obtain a blessing. Peter is pointing to the great reward of faithful living, living with the end in mind, the new life that they were given, a life with God forever. It's almost as if he's saying, think of the gracious way that God has dealt with you. Think for a moment what lies beyond these present difficulties. In fact, think of Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured all sorts of humiliation even to the point of the cross. In light of what God has done, don't you think you could extend the same grace to the undeserving? to those who have reviled you, to those who have criticized you. Couldn't you bless? So we live with the end in mind. This present evil doesn't need to be repaid by you. You don't need to revile, criticize, and abuse others the way that they've hurt you because with your words, you can bless. With your words, you can bless. And wow, that is a difficult word. Bless my persecutors. Bless my, bless my oppressors. Bless those that have hurt me. How are we able to do that? How are we able to bless those who have persecuted us? We can see in the Gospels how Jesus teaches through this, but it's to the degree that you have experienced the forgiveness of God that you're able to be like God. Or as Jesus put it, right? The one who has been forgiven much loves much. It is a blessing to forgive. And when we do this, we're actually partnering with Christ in his work and what he came to do. 
in the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14, Scripture shows us how we get to partner with Jesus in his mission. And this is what it says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. There are no little people. Though we, were once, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And it was with Christ's words from the cross that he reconciled the world to God. Right? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It is finished. And it was finished on the cross. And this is how we are able to bless those who revile us, those who criticize us those who, who slander us, those who gossip about us. It's because as we experience God's forgiveness of our own sin, of our own toxicity, our own evil speech, it is as we confess our sins, where we've missed it, we grow in our capacity to forgive others of their sins. That's how we're able to do it. John Owen, who's a 17th century theologian and a good friend of John Bunyan's, prolific writer in theology, often spoke about the Christian life as the practice between mortification and vivification. We mortify and we vivify by our words. Mortify means to put something to death. And vivify means to bring something to life. And in Colossians 3, it gets really, really explicit about what that looks like. In Colossians 3, verse 5, it says, put to death Mortify, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. You've taken off your old self and its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. <clears throat> Verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, this is the vivify part, clothe yourselves with passion, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And this is how we live a godly life in the church and outside the church community. We mortify the sin in our life. We put to death, therefore, the sin in our life, and we vivify the goodness in others. <laughs> we speak life to others. There's a lot of power in your words. You can tranquilize the rage in somebody's life. You can calm them. 
You can cultivate peace. You can fortify people when they don't have courage. The words that you say can help build up people, and the words that you say can unmake relationships, divide families, and kill the spirit. Let's look at the last verse in our passage today, starting in verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Peter is quoting Psalm 34 here, and he's showing us that our words are related to our godliness of our lifestyle. Our words are mirrors of our souls. What he isn't saying is, you know, you slander once and you're done. He's saying, your word is a mirror to your soul. Keep vigilant, stay vigilant, keep at it. And when you make a misstep and you sound more like the world and less like God, address the breakdown behind your words. Ask yourself, what's really going on within me? And then pray to the God of heaven and he will hear your prayer. Address the, the toxic behavior before God and ask him to help you experience his forgiveness of your sin. It's as Jesus said, right? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words are powerful. They can kill, they can create, and they can reveal. How are you using your words? What will you speak to others today? Let me pray for you. Father, today we come we thank you for what Jesus has done on the cross. We thank you that in him we are made a new creation. That today you can renew us, Lord, by your spirit. You can help us to walk in your ways, to imitate Christ in our speech, that we can love others, that we can build up others in love. Lord, we thank you for the power of words. God, we thank you for giving us an ability to, to bless others. Lord, we pray for courage there. God, we pray for a, a new revealing of your forgiveness of our own lives. Help us, Father, to live as you would have us live. Help us to speak as you would have us speak. Help us to go into this week and bless the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.